Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Audit Podcast. I am the host, Trent Russell. And today we had Daniel McCarville on the show. He's a researcher with a decade of experience in internal audit and data analytics. His published works include peer-reviewed statistical research on Benford's Law. Uh, if you've been in audit long enough, it's hard to ignore Benford's Law, um, as well as the Benford's Python package, though. Uh, he currently leads the audit analytics group for Crane Company. It's an international manufacturing firm. Daniel is, for anyone that's heard me speak at your IA chapter, ISACA chapter, or any other group that we've spoken at on analytics, if we've talked about Benford's, then Daniel's name might sound familiar. I always, as I start to wrap up my piece on Benford's, always tell people, look, if you really want to know this stuff, go connect with Daniel on LinkedIn. He posts some really interesting stories, use cases, et cetera. And so for those that are familiar, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're not, I highly recommend connecting with Daniel. He's super interesting follow on LinkedIn. Some of the things that we hit on though during the show is what has been in Daniel's internet browser history this week, the history of Benford's, which is extremely fascinating to me um, and why it works and why and when it doesn't work. And then we have kind of Daniel's state of Benford's law from 2023. So some trends that we're seeing during 2023, use cases, examples, all the good stuff that, that everybody loves to hear about. Quick note, if you are listening to this through the podcast, as opposed to watching it on YouTube, go to the YouTube channel and you'll see a short video from Daniel. On that video, Daniel pulls up his screen and he shows a, a dashboard that he built for Benford's. And so I found a lot of times it's really helpful to start with the visualization of what Benford's is. And then it makes a lot more sense as you hear about the history um, about the use cases, then you can <clears throat> you can see it in your head about what exactly we're talking about. So go check that out. You'll also see the workbook and Daniel offered to offer that up to the listeners. And so the best way for us to do that is through the audit podcast newsletter. You can subscribe to that by checking out the post for Daniel's episode on LinkedIn. So search for that. You'll see that. In the comments is where you can subscribe to the newsletter or you can also see the link below for that link the last thing that we hit on kind of is how benford's can or maybe cannot um be used to determine election results and if they are fraudulent or not we are in 2024 right now uh, there's a lot of folks that applied that in 2020 uh, i will let daniel speak to that more than than me but 
we're gonna have Daniel back after the election this year in 2024 probably pull the screen back up and go through that in a little bit more detail if you're interested so stay tuned for that all right here we go just to kick things off what's been and speak appropriately or um consider the audience and and this is the audit podcast what's been in your internet browser history this week uh db scan okay so i'm doing a lot of work these days looking forward to a project where we use ai machine learning to uh look for outliers in some of our data and it doesn't matter what the data is if it's invoices or vendors or firewalls or wh whatever it is we're analyzing and db scan is a method for looking at that data and finding data points that are just far away from all the others and it looks like a great algorithm to use so i'm really looking forward to building that out I don't know. The topic today is you being the Benford uh, expert that you are. We're going to talk Benford's. Benford's kind of helps you find outliers, and there's various other techniques that we use to find outliers when we work with folks also. So what is the difference, for those that are curious, DB scan versus any other outlier detection uh, algorithm or solution? Yeah, so DB scan is in the machine learning world. So you're going to unleash this algorithm on your data and it's going to do some processing. It's going to put your data into groups. And anything that's not in a group is therefore an outlier. And that just means, you know, the combination of all of the traits that the algorithm saw, it says this one doesn't fit into a group with any of the others. Benford's log looks at the first digit of your data. And you're going to analyze a group of data of some kind. And it's going to say this group you know, the distribution of those digits or the frequencies of those digits, they don't line up with what I think. So there's no sense of learning in Benford's law. It's it's a simpler method. You could think of it that way. One of the great trends that we're seeing a lot these days, though, is the people who built the machine learning algorithms will use Benford's law as an input. Mm -hmm. So you could say, you know, find me a vendor that looks suspicious. Well, that one of the input features would be, does that vendor follow Benford's law? Right. Okay. And we're going to do deep dive into Benford's. I think that's a good way to set it up though. But when I've talked about Benford's in the past and have shown demonstrations, et cetera, the way, and I think you described it really well with uh, looking at the frequency of the distribution based on the first digit of a given number uh, in a population. But I, I would tell people, I was like, hey, this, this, you know, Benford's law, this was an actual guy, Benford, about a hundred years ago. Uh, came up with this idea, and I can only imagine that he was on some form of LSD because I don't see how any any other way a rational brain could go, hey, I wonder if we just mapped every, the first digit in uh, a, a population of numbers if it would adhere to um, the, this distribution and or this law, uh, as they put it. And so that's what I've always said, but then I learned a little bit more about how he got to that hypothesis and I went that is extremely interesting even if you're not like a data nerd person so if you could share with us history of Benford's uh why it works and why sometimes maybe a lot of times it doesn't work sure so history wise it was independently discovered discovered by two different people so if you're reading about it in the statistics circles you'll see it called the Newcomb Benford law because two different guys independently observed exactly the same thing so Newcomb in the 1880s after the Civil Wars an astronomer and that Benford is an electrical engineer in the 30s during the depression and they both have the same observation 
today it's super easy to do math, right? You just flip out your phone. We don't even flip phones anymore. I'm an old man, so I think about flip <laughs> phones. But you know, you've got a calculator. It's very easy to do all of these kinds of calculations. Back in the 30s or back in the 1800s, it was not easy. And so if you needed, say, some random numbers, how did you get them? You bought a book. You bought a book of a million random digits and you crossed them out as you used them. You got books for multiplication and division so that you could just look up the answer because that was the most expedient way to do calculations. What Benford notices and what Newcomb also notices is they've got a book of logarithms because logarithms are another very common kind of mathematical operation. And what they're noticing is the pages or the logarithms for, say, one are used a lot, but the logarithms for, say, eight are barely used at all. And same thing, 10 through, you know, 19, we use these all the time. You can see the pages are getting worn down and torn. We have to replace them. The logarithms for eight and nine and nobody ever uses them. What the heck's going on? And that's the observation that spawns yep. it, right? What they end up doing is they just take the definition of a number and they, they put it out in scientific notation and they just do some math and they say, oh, look, if you sort of take the logarithm of any number, it follows this pattern. It, it's actually a very easy mathematical thing to do if you ever had the thought to do it. What Benford did that was unique was he took that, it was the Great Depression, employment was hard to get, so he had a lot of time on his hands, and he collected tons and tons of just random data. The lengths of rivers, the lengths of roads. He got some issues of Reader's Digest and just circled all the numbers in Reader's Digest mm -hmm. and collected all of this data and says, look, it's not just this random formula. Actual data in the world follows it. And that's how it came to be. Then for yeah. about 100 years, it was just nothing and nobody cared. It was a mathematical oddity. And then it's really starting in the 90s. Uh, Mark Negrini, famous name, showed us that we could do lots of great stuff with it. Showing we do it with income taxes and invoices and all kinds of different things. It is. It's one of our go-to analytics when we work with folks because especially... I mean, it's in most analytics tools. You know, there's probably a Benford's option. So whatever your analytics tool is, search it plus the word Benford's. And somebody has written, I'm sure, multiple articles on how to do it. But like we just created one in Excel to where you just say you point, you know, uh, to the amount column most of the time. And that's pretty much it. And then it updates and you just go look at the visual and you can see these huge spikes at, you know, maybe the number 12 or the number 95 or whatever it is. And then you can go investigate those. And if nothing else, this is what my perspective on Benford's especially, because it is kind of a staple for audit analytics, um, especially if like you go to enough conferences and that's the topic, audit analytics, somebody's going to talk about it. Somebody's going to present about it. And a lot of times it is in the context of this is the fraud that we found. Usually that's it. Like that's what people want to think of it as. But I think from my perspective, we'd like to use it during planning and go, hey, here is a question you can ask management because you will see this huge spike. You'll go filter on that, you know, 95 or whatever it is. And from there, you can usually go, well, this just doesn't look right. And what's up with this? You know, like the curiosity that we should have as auditors. And so that's that's a large way we'd like to use it because I think when it comes to things like Benford's, where people have seen it as a fraud finder, they go, well, we didn't find fraud, so we're never going to do this again. And that's not 
Like there's more that you can do. Like to me, it's more about are is it generating questions we can ask management that maybe management didn't know themselves. But anyway, that's my. I think those are all my Benford's rants. Uh, that's my usual spiel. The LSD thing, make it make, ask questions, not necessarily focus on fraud. Uh, so I definitely want to make sure you have more airtime on this than I do, considering your background. Um, and I know you've put together a uh, report of sorts on kind of the state of Benford's in 2023. And so really, I wanted you to kind of walk us through that. What's the overall state of Benford's trends that you saw in 2023? And then a few examples. People obviously love examples. So, uh, And before that, in case I don't mention it elsewhere, follow Daniel on LinkedIn. There is always good stuff, it seems like, where someone either mentions Benford's and Daniel will chime in with his opinion on it and uh, question like, well, what else did you find or uh, if nothing else, there's always really interesting use cases that I see from uh, just scrolling through my LinkedIn. So, okay. With that said, I'm giving it to you. You got the floor. Tell us what's going on with Benford's. Yeah. Thank you for that. So I really appreciate what you said that Benford's law is not just about fraud. If we go back to that history and where Benford's law came from, it's really just derived from the very definition of a number. So what it means when data follows Benford's law is that it's kind of natural in mm -hmm. some sense, follows a pattern that we think is really innate to pretty much all numbers all of the time. So when I think about Benford's law, I'm thinking really of like data quality. And so when my data doesn't follow Benford's law, it doesn't mean fraud. It could be fraud would be one reason that our data might appear unnatural. And there's great reasons for that. But there's so many other things, data that's incomplete. So uh, one example would be, we know that the populations of cities follow Benford's law. Somebody did a study where they couldn't get the size of cities less than like 2000 people. Well, that data no longer followed Benford's law mm -hmm. because you missed all of those ones, right? Easy right. example. See the same thing in financial data all the time. Unusual duplication, unusual rounding, all kinds of things can be detected by Benford's law. So I appreciate challenging that frame that's not just about fraud. So the state of Benford's law today, if you were to look back in the 90s, you would have seen Benford's law was very hot in auditing. Like everything you looked at would be, I looked at invoices and look what I found. Mm -hmm. It's now 2025. Gosh, what year is it? Probably more than that. <laughs> yeah. Years later. Very close enough. And Benford's law has exploded all across different disciplines. So now when you look at Benford's law, it's being used in geology to detect earthquakes. It's being used in medicine to see whether people are properly under anesthesia. It's being used in science to see if scientific data is accurate. I mean, there's all of these communities out there using Benford's law. And the real story of 2023 is that those communities are maturing now. So each one of them is developing their own approaches to Benford's Law. And that means the toolkit, if you were to delve into what you can do with Benford's Law, it's exploding. And the best, the single best thing that happened on that front in 23 was the mathematicians finally put out a really good proof of Benford's Law. They've been working on a lot of proofs. It's not the first, but it's simple and it's powerful. And I'm expecting that to be a platform where we see some really robust methods being developed based on that proof over the next few years. Okay. So we're definitely going to have to have you come back yeah. next year, the year after at some point and go, all right, you said it was going to blow up. Let's see you know, where it's really, what industries it's hit, what areas uh, of study it's hit also. Is there, you mentioned 
geology, medicine, uh, some other scientific areas. Is there like specific examples on there that are easy enough to uh, for us to understand that you could explain and go, this was the use case, they applied it, this is the result? You ever see in movies those seismographs where there's like an earthquake and it's this needle that bounces up and down? Right. It turns out that under normal circumstances, that data doesn't follow Benford's law. It's basically noise. It's the sound of footsteps and trucks driving by. It's just garbage. So it doesn't follow Benford's law at all. Except when there's an earthquake, it does follow Benford's law. Yeah. Because if you think about it, now the data covers many, many orders of magnitude, many zeros. It's now stretched out enough that the earthquake follows Benford's law. And so these geologists, what they did was built a method for if you plot your data over time, how do we detect when it follows Benford's law? And they're able to say very precisely, this is now an earthquake. Now we can build early warning systems that tell you an earthquake has happened out there in the ocean to be worried about this. And they expanded that a lot this year by showing not just earthquakes, but landslides, mudslides. Those things all follow Benford's law, whereas a dump truck going by doesn't. And prior methods couldn't tell the difference. So it's a big lift for people in these like emergency management situations. Is there, from all these use cases that you see and that I've seen you you post about and write and talk about, are there lessons that you take from those that are not audit related that then you go, hey, let me apply that kind of concept to the audit world that I live in? Absolutely. So I'm going to use that exact same example. You know, you may not think earthquakes. That's totally an audit <laughs> topic, right? But that thought process of, you know, let's let's calculate a score that says how close our data is to Benford's law. Let's track it over time and find time periods that look unusual. So I actually did some consulting with a municipality and they had law enforcement data that they were auditing their law enforcement data. And so you could look at when police were reporting different kinds of activities and we took that data and did exactly the same thing. We take the police reports look at how well they follow Benford's law over time and we see it going up and down. And there was just this two week span where it hit zero, it didn't follow Benford's law at all. So, hey, police, uh, what were you either leaving out or over-reporting in that two weeks? Mm -hmm. uh, and that ended up being a pretty hot button issue for their community because of course, the reliability, the integrity of police, is always a very big deal. Yeah, very nice. And you could do that with invoices. You can measure your invoices every month, see how well they follow Benford's law. If it suddenly changes, well, what happened that month? And I know one that we've talked about and one that I've seen, I can't remember if you posted about it or not where I saw it, but using Benford's Law to find uh, questionable test scores within higher education or any area of education. But um, I think that one's interesting. I wanted to, I want to see if you could if you could speak to that one in a little bit more detail. And if there was, uh, again, because that's what I think is interesting is uh, you're so in it that you can see an example that seems unrelated at all to what we do in internal audit and go, nope, I can take that and apply it to internal audit. So if there is a lesson learned there that we could apply in the audit world also, I'd love to hear that. I'm sure the, the audience would too. Sure. And you know, I think that's a great general lesson. When we're talking about methods and how we work, our inspiration can come from anywhere. Yeah. I tell you, one of the absolute best auditors I ever worked with was a former state prosecutor, state attorney. And their interviewing skills were so good. It was incredible. And you wouldn't think to take these skills from a different profession, but it, it can be a very valuable kind of like cross-pollination. Yeah. But test scores, that's actually my world of research. And so that's where I love to work. 
the problem we were facing was I was working with somebody who processed standardized tests. So ACT, SAT, all of these different kinds of standardized tests that kids take in school. Somebody processes that data and they are very interested in making sure that data is good. Unfortunately, some school districts give their teachers or their principals or different people financial incentives based on those test scores, which seems like a good way to get good performance. It's also a very good way to get fraud. Right. The problem is it's very difficult to detect. And that's that was the challenge that we set ourselves up. So we started off taking the test scores. Do they follow Benford's law? Well, the short answer is no. If you think about something like an ACT score, it goes from zero to 30. I mean, what's the max? 35, 36? Yeah. I didn't, so, I didn't max it out, so I don't know. And so right. obviously it doesn't follow Benford's law because it doesn't have a big enough range. It's going to end in the 30s. And so I found a method for basically expanding those numbers. You can raise them to the 10th power, get a huge yeah. number. And that will basically, now it does follow Benford's law. The second thing we did was look for a way to focus on individual schools. So I don't want to run Bedford's law for the whole population of test data. I want to run it once for each school and see which schools pop. So I think that was very good. I don't know if anyone has implemented that like in their state government, but it's something that some of the test processors do think about. So I think what happens with a lot of people, they do something like Benford's and maybe there aren't results and they go, well, this is crap. I'm never doing it again, whether it's fraud or otherwise. So from that analysis you were talking about, and to the extent that you can talk about it, did you find anything? Sure. When we did Benford's law once for each school and we gave each school a score saying how close it was to Benford's law, it was obvious that we had two or three schools out, out of hundreds that their data was nowhere close to Benford's law yeah. and it really ought to have been. So we we did find some schools that had very conspicuous scores. Yeah. Also, it was exciting because the existing methods of finding test fraud couldn't have located those. So it was a better method than existed. So yeah, I would say it was very productive. Okay, perfect. Would you like to do a demo? I do have a demo of that method also. Yeah, let's see it. All right, set this up for us. All right, so... In Bedford's law, we're looking at the distribution of the digits at the beginning of some data, right? In this data, this came from FinCEN. If you remember several years ago, there was a very well-known disclosure of some banking data that was banks reporting suspicious transactions to the federal government, United States federal government, in case there's anyone who's outside of the United States. So looking at this data, we expect there to be unusual things in it. We're looking at the dollar value of transactions that banks believe are suspicious. Probably the most common way to approach Benford's law is the first digit test, where you just look at this first single digit. And that's what I've got here. So when we look at all of this data from all of these different banks, all of these different countries, does it follow Benford's law? This is what I think most people do. This is the traditional way to do it. So we could see, you know, most digits are pretty close. Seven and eight are too low. We, we can click on the eight. I built all this out in Power BI. We could use any tool that we wanted. I like the visual aspect. So, you know, we see the eights are too low. We could scroll through it and look through something interesting. The nines are too high. We could scroll through the nines and look for something interesting, right? A slightly more sophisticated version would be to use the Z score for each digit. 
And then the Z score would sort of prove out, oh, this digit really is too high or too low. So this is the traditional, I think, common way of approaching Benford's law. Can you, while you're in here, for, for those that are still like, what is he talking about this first digit thing? Can you show in the data what you're talking oh. about? So it's it's numbers that start with the number eight. That's the one example, numbers that start with the number nine. That was the other example. I, I found that to be helpful. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So when we look at value of the transactions, so my first transaction here, that looks like it's about 1.6 million. Well, the first digit is one. It starts with a one. So you plot the one out. So you you say one, we're going to yep. plot that. Absolutely. Second one is 50,000. Well, I start you with a five. Plot the five. Yeah, plot the five. And a five could be 50,000, could be five million, could be five cents. Mm -hmm. As long as the first digit is, it could be negative five cents, actually. So long as the first thing that's not a zero is a five, we're going to call it a five. And that's part of the thing that makes Benford's law, in some sense, almost mystically unintuitive. Who cares what the first digit is, right? Yeah. Except that it turns out it does matter. <laughs> and so what we're looking at here then is on your one, we look at the one where it says 30%. 30% of the population that we were just looking at starts with the number one. Yep. And so what I've got here is a blue line, which indicates what Benford's law expects. Just a formula based on these guys who observe that some of the pages in their books are used too often, right? Yeah. So we're expecting 30.1% of all of our records, of all of these transactions to start with the number one. In reality, 29.7% start with one. You could say that's pretty close. There are a lot of transactions, so we might not be, you know, we might want to be very sensitive to that difference. Uh, we definitely noticed the eight more, though. We're expecting... 5.1% actually got 4.2%, almost a whole percentage point off. Tells us maybe there's some data that should have been down here in eight or in seven that now got shifted somewhere else, like the mm -hmm. nine. And so the normal way to do this would be to say, hey, my nine is too high. I click on it, I sort through it, and I, I look for something. Here's the upgrade, though. Here's what a more modern approach would be like, and it's, this is why I did with my test scores too, because I don't actually think for the most part that people really care necessarily that the nine is too high. I think a lot of times what people want to do is they want to find some group that's really off the rails. Is there a bank that's going crazy? Is there mm. a certain country? Is there a certain gate? So what I did here is I said, Let's do Benford's law once for each bank receiving funds in this data. So I'm going to look for banks that are receiving suspicious dollar amounts and their transactions don't follow Benford's law. And one thing I like about Power BI, you can do this in Tableau, right? Is I can make this interactive. We could just pick a bank from the list. It would filter automatically. There's a whole bunch of these different scores you can calculate. I think the most common one is probably chi-square. I'm a big fan of the D-score. Nick Green talks day and night about his MAD score. doesn't yeah. matter which score we use. Just know that there's some out there. And so what I plotted here is the dollar amount of all the transactions, and then up and down, how close are you to Benford's Law? If you're way up here at the top, you don't follow Benford's Law at all. So what we see is right off the bat, the bank well actually this looks like a uh it's a country the united ember 
United Emirates. Gosh, I can't even say the name of this country. United Arab Emirates. Uh, so this particular uh, thing, totally far away from Bedford's law. Right. We click on it, and in fact, what we see is 25% of their transactions started nine. I mean, look how fast that was. We, we put it on the scatter plot. Immediately, we could see which bank was the irregular bank. And I'll tell you, this pattern here, this is the classic example we look for for people avoiding some kind of control. In, in truth, what there is here is there's a law that says if you're sending, I think it's more than $10,000 or $10,000 or more, you have to report that to the federal government. Right. So when you see too many transactions starting with nine, what are they doing? Well, they're right. coming just underneath that limit. Could not be a more picturesque example of somebody avoiding the control and how we find it in Benford's law. And it's so much easier when we break it down into smaller groups instead of trying to look at the whole thing. So then this is the question that I get asked often is, okay, it's nine. It's obviously off. We should go look into it. How do we approach the analysis of that? Like what's the next step? And what I've said is using a sports analogy, I go just grip it and rip it. Like just sort some stuff and start scrolling through until you see something with your own eyes that go, oh, that seems like that could be where the issue is. Um, but is there a more analytical approach than grip it and rip it? So I think the smaller a pool that you can give yourself, the better off you're going to be. If you have to sort through a million transactions, that's a lot of mental labor and you right. might miss something. So one thing I like about this method, this idea of trying to find a particular bank, country, a day, whatever it is, an account code, we had account codes, right? That narrows your pool and helps you find a smaller, more suspicious pool. So in this case, I'm saying, hey, United Arab Emirates, you look very suspicious. Uh, that helps me get a small pool. And then I look at your nines and I say, those nines are wild. In this case, it's a, it's a slam dunk almost that something's coming underneath. So I would just go to their data and I would start looking, you know, what is it that starts with nines in here that we see? I see some ones. There's actually quite a lot of data. But look, row after row of 9,900 something. Couldn't be a more clear trend here, right? People trying mm -hmm. to come underneath that, that claim. So probably sample a few of these and say, hey, was this a case where they were bundling or, you know, disaggregating transactions so that they could avoid the limit? Are these legitimate? What do you really have? At the end of the day, analytics help you see interesting things, but you still have to kind of use your smart auditor brain to find out what's going on. The analytic is a great tool, but it doesn't do all the work for you. Yep. All right. So that example was brilliant. Um, I have like we talked about broken it down by vendor and things before, but certainly not in a, a way that's as easy as the way you showed it. So I thought that was super impressive and valuable for the folks that watch the video. And even if you haven't been able to watch it, if you just listened to what we're talking about, I got asked three, four years ago, um, by someone who did a Benford's analysis after the very controversial election results here in the United States. And they said, hey, look, it doesn't adhere to Benford's. And so there was uh, fraud or, you know, whatever the case is. And then, so I kind of went down this rabbit hole for a little bit of 
let's see what else is out there. And so there's a, you know, some madman on YouTube that was saying the same thing, but he screamed a lot more, um, than I would have done. But, uh, and then I think it was either you or someone in your circle, maybe you passed it along, but basically kind of debunked it. And I went, okay, I trust Daniel more than some lunatic that's ranting on YouTube. And so I agree with Daniel's opinion, but walk us through like what happened. Uh, can you use Benford's? Am I remember this entirely incorrectly? Can you use Benford's? For the election results, um, did you do it yourself? Like, what did you see from 2020? Yeah, so 2020 was a magical time, right? <laughs> we had this great election, uh, lots of interesting conversations around our elections. And it was also a time when Benford's Law was very popular. It was sort of at this crest of its popularity. I think going into those COVID days, people had a little extra time on their hands. Yeah. Like I said, just put out a new series and they had a whole episode dedicated to Benford's Law. So there who was were that? More... Who, who put that out? Uh, Netflix did. I don't know oh, okay. the series, but it, it had become very popular for like the six or nine month period. And people just played with it. And it's no exaggeration to say there were probably thousands of videos on Vine, on Mastodon, on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. right? Everybody looking at their election data and saying, oh, look, my guy didn't win. There's a problem. Yeah. And the political scientists, they jumped on this because they were very interested. In particular, there's a guy named uh, Walter Mabane, who is like the man for election security, election statistics. And he put out several studies looking at, does Benford's law work with elections? And the short story is not really. And it's super interesting because the populations of those areas follow Benford's law. The vote counts usually don't. And if you think about this, it kind of makes sense because what two factors would cause election data to not follow Benford's law? Well, winning the election would probably not follow Benford's law because you got more than a natural number of votes. And the other thing that would cause you to fail is losing the election. Mm -hmm. And uh, between those two things in America, those are basically all your options. Yeah. And the real cause of all of this too is... Those are not independent events. We kind of assume our data normally is independent, that each row is not affected by the other rows of data. But in an election, that's totally untrue. Every precinct is affected by the precincts next to it or the voting stations next to them. So it's all this interrelated mess, and the election data does not follow Bedford's law, even on a good day. Yeah, perfect. All right. I think when I'm sure there's going to be more controversy this year, and so I think it'd be super interesting to have you come back. We can pull the screen back up again. Maybe it's just like a full 45 minutes or something of uh, recording your screen and you walking us through in more detail what that looks like. Cause I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people interested in that. Be prepared for the hate mail. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Either way, regardless of, of who wins. Yeah. It's, that's, uh, that's not going to be good for the show maybe, but all right. I think it's good for the audience. So let's, uh, let's maybe do it. You know, kind of related to that too, though, another set of data that does not follow Benford's law well is COVID data. Mm-hmm. And the the public health people looked into this and it turns out that in areas that did nothing about COVID, the data follows Benford's law perfectly. Because it's natural. That's the natural transmission yeah. of the disease when people die, unaffected yeah. by controls. Yeah. In the areas that actually implemented internal controls, the data doesn't follow Benford's law anymore. All right, I'm going to go pick the, uh, I'll go look at the the other, maybe the top five most controversial topics in the past four years. And Daniel, you can just uh, help de- debunk any of those with Benford's Law. Absolutely. I should have like my own branded Magic 8-Ball. 
Yeah. Bad yeah. for Ben Kids Law. Yeah. Yeah. I think the show is going to get canceled by one side or the other by the time we get done with that one. <laughs> <laughs> the All magic right. is both. Shoot for getting canceled by both. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's, uh, something less controversial then. Help. I know, again, questions that I get from running Benford. Someone is asked, like, hey, I've only got 50 in this population. Is that too little? What's like the standard? Or you're talking standard deviation. What is too high or what's not low or, or what's too low that you wouldn't consider? Or it's supposed to be the first digits, roughly what, 30 point something. And so you showed in yours, hey, it's 29. Like, what? where do you cap it? If it's at 42, would you look into it? If it's at 41, where, like, where would, where would you cap it and go, nope, at this point is where you would look at it. Like, what are some... What kind of protocol can we follow when we're looking at Benford's to say, yes, I should look into this. No, I shouldn't look into this. Yes, I should or shouldn't even apply this. Yeah. So I think the first topic there is the sample sizes, right? And there's all kinds of different ideas about how many you should have. The first thing I would say is if you're using a non-statistical approach, like you're just going to put out a graph and you're going to click on the column and just eyeball it, mm -hmm. the idea of sample size really doesn't matter. Uh, because it's a non-mathematical thing. Just like I would say in other areas of auditing, listen, if you're doing a judgmental sample, I can't possibly calculate the ideal sample size because I don't know how good your judgment is. Yeah. Sorry. Same thing for Benford's Law. If you're doing it non-statistically, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with is basically the right number. If you're going to use the Z-score, like I know you like to use, or if you're using a D or a chi-square, those statistics have an ideal sample size. And we generally know what their behavior is at different sample sizes. For things like the D statistic and the MAD score, you're really typically looking for about 80 samples, 80 observations, 80 rows of data. Got it. 80, that's like, you can, if you have more data, that's great, but that's the number where you're getting at least the optimal amount of value. Um, if you have less data than that, can you still do it? Sure, but your test may not be as robust as you mm -hmm. prefer. I, and what I like to tell people is it can be so simple to run it. I mean, especially if you do it a handful of times, uh, the way I do it takes, depending on the data set, usually less than five minutes. Sometimes it takes literally two minutes. And so depending, not even really depending on the sample size, if it's 50 or 80 or whatever, like I'll just go, hey, let's just throw it in there and take a look. Like it's, it's not going to cost us that much time. Um, yeah, I can go to the bathroom and come back before, you know, the, yeah, before it's done. So, all right. Uh, is there anything else relative to Benford's or, or otherwise that you want to leave the audience with as we wrap up the show? For everybody out there, there's such a big world. Auditing is just one part of this huge world that we're in. But no matter what part of the world you're in, like me, Daniel, I know that stats is a part of the world that I, that's a part of the world I'm really good at. But for you, whatever it is that you do, whatever you love to do, be the best at it. You are the smartest person that has ever lived regarding the challenges that you face. Nobody knows your challenges better than you. So nobody is better equipped than you to be the best at what you're doing. I think that's the most important thing to know out there. 
Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.